Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent most of my life designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guest about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is Rosie Viva. Here at Alex Monroe Industries, we're already very familiar with Rosie as a brilliant model. You'll see all our new jewellery all over her in the new campaign out very soon. In fact, it'll probably be out by the time the podcast goes out. And we love the fact that Rosie also makes her own gorgeous jewellery. Now, we're going to put all the links to everything, Rosie's jewellery, photographs of everything on the podcast webpage. So do check that out. And also maybe go on Instagram and search Rosie Viva because there are links through from there. Rosie is also a presenter, an entrepreneur. She runs Viva Fever. And she's just made a short film, which I'm dying to talk about, for Channel 4. Rosie's film is called Modelling, Mania and Me, and it explores the challenges of life with type 1 bipolar. And it's out on the 14th of May. We're recording today in our London Bridge headquarters. We have Esme on sound, and my daughter Connie has joined us with Blueberry the Dog. Say hi, Connie and Esme. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think that's embarrassing, shouldn't we? <laughs> and Esme has worked with Rosie as a model before, and I, of course, make jewellery like Rosie. And Connie and I have had our challenges with mental health, so we have so much to talk about. And amongst all that, I must not forget to ask Rosie about her jewellery too. So it's with a huge thank you that I welcome the multi-talented Rosie Bieber to be my guest on This Is A Token. Rosie, hello and thank you. reception. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had such a complimentary intro to before I even start speaking. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Gosh, what's really interesting now is that people have this really multi-faceted mm. career base. My wife Denise worked as a model and Esme, you've worked as a model. As, a model. You, you worked as a model too. <laughs> Not that. There's a time where you think, actually, how long is this going to go on for? Yeah. And you have other talents you want to use, so you want to diversify. It's, it's definitely a weird one. When I was on the shoot with Esme, I think it was actually really nice We're both in a stage in our career where we're wanting to move on and grow and find out who we are now in our 20s. It's a career where you start so young. So I got scouted at 15 after trying very hard. Wow. <laughs> well, you tried to be scouted or yeah, you tried I to... Yeah, I tried so hard to be what, scouted. What, were you turning up at some train stations? I was just hanging out in Topshop at Oxford Circus for hours and end in heels, in shoes which made me look taller than I was. Yeah. And I was absolutely fixated on the job and I'm not really sure why because it wasn't like we had social media or anything back no. then. It was just still this old school way of having really cool pictures taken of you. And I remember I did a shoot for Asda and it didn't matter. My school friends thought I was the coolest person ever. And I thought, oh my God, this is what I want to do. But it's a weird one because there is that ticking time bomb. Just when you start to see at 18 that you're now four years older than the youngest person, you start thinking, okay, this is a weird place because it's the one industry where you're experience isn't necessarily super valued whereas in any other industry if you say oh, I've been doing it for 10 years people are like wow okay great whereas with this you almost sometimes have to play down 
mm. how much you've done. Hopefully that's changing and it's definitely changing in what I hope to be doing in the next few years. But it's a very weird one mentally to well, grow up in that time. It's just weird because I've got kids and essentially when you're 18, you think you're grown up and everything. But from a parent's point of view, you can still see that there's quite a large part of that person still a child, really. Yeah. And to start thinking about that when you're 18, where most of us would be probably going to university or thinking about embarking on a career and you're already thinking about that there are younger people coming in behind you. That mm. sounds really weird. Earlier we were chatting before we started recording about it's quite a difficult thing to get away from modelling because you can get a great job in a sunny place and the money can be good. And mm. so how do you turn that down when you're trying to get another thing, a kind of yeah. pop one again? I mean, I'll go straight in with the last few years of my experience with it. I took a year and a half out of modelling when I was 21 and I got diagnosed bipolar, I f physically couldn't do a job like modelling, which is people facing all day. So I took some time away from it. And over the next year and a half, I slowly realised that the benefit of keeping it going is that if you work one day every two weeks, you earn enough to get by. And so it gives you that time to figure out what else you also enjoy doing. But I think the hard part is when you start finding your other interests is saying no to paid jobs. So for me, when I was setting up the jewellery and I needed to be physically in Kent once a week to support my business partner, that first step of saying to a booker, I'm actually not available Thursday, Friday this week. I think that's the most difficult part, but it does really pay off a few years down the line where you start to figure out what else you can do around modelling. And then eventually, I think most girls take the leap to quit and move on to something else. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's quite a fortunate position to be able to do yeah. a day because that would need to be quite a nice job that was well paid because there's an awful lot of jobs in modelling that, for example, doing sort of catalogue work or something mm -hmm. where it's not paid when you do long hours. And then there's all the... It, it's not just the day's work, is it? Because there's all the castings you have to go on and all the other yeah. stuff you have to do around that. So I, I say this because my wife worked as a model and it, there is a lot of glamour, but there's also an awful mm -hmm. lot of graft and disappointment. And it was funny because I was up for a job presenting for the BBC and I didn't get it and for about how long has it been three years now I am bitter <laughs> disappointed and angry and then people that are actors or models say yeah that happens to us four times a day and it's that yeah. happens to me once in my life and I'm telling you I'm not getting over it I'm not letting that one lie but there's a lot of um <laughs> the rejection is absolutely brutal I mean it mm. completely yeah there's two sides to it for me, in my experience, like the commercial side to work, which I got into later in my career, there's less rejection because uh, there's no kind of politics around it. So if you can smile and you fit the clothes, it just felt for me like there was less judgment there. Mm. Whereas when I was doing the shows, and this is what me and Esme were talking about, mm. that's where you're constantly having to go and meet people in person, walk in front of them, be judged on your figure, and then you get the no, and you feel so personally offended just because the whole process is taxing. Whereas there's some times now where you'll just get cast through your pictures online. Yeah. So yeah, it's a mixture of the two, but it's yeah definitely not a glamorous job. And that is so important that you would never expect how much unpaid work and unglamorous parts there are to it. Yeah. And there's a kind of predatory, exploitative angle to it. It's just mm -hmm. you have to be quite careful to avoid, don't you, as well? So I guess also, like, the thing is with modelling, because we actually both did the same Gucci show together. I was 18, yeah, just 18, I think, because I think you were a year above me, so you must have been 19 I think so, yeah. at that point. And it was it literally 
for me it was a week before my A-levels and my teachers were really happy but every other student avoided me down the corridor because they were like they thought I was above them Mm. at that point Mm. and I was like oh no I'm still I was like I'm still myself and like I haven't were you Esme like were you like like, I'm real people I know I'm real people (laughs) but for that I remember they put you in this weird leotard so every part of your body is exposed and then you have to walk in front of people and obviously it's all Italian so they're all speaking in another language you don't understand in front of these and you're like I'm only 18 and I was like just a bit ditzy and a bit all over the place and I don't know if that my but, walk was awful. Is, I found yeah. some horrendous video online. I can't walk to it, save my life in a cobbled s- church or wherever Yeah, we were. it was in Westminster Abbey. So yeah. it was, you're really young, vulnerable, in front of people you don't understand what they're saying. So then your mind, your anxiety goes, you're like, what, oh, if I said something wrong with me? Is this, isn't, mm. do you know what I mean? So It's very hard, isn't it? I think um, we're all going through it individually yeah. as well because you can't, you feel like you can't talk to people because you're like, but this is your competition. But is it your competition? Mm. It's a very odd Friends How? within the industry is actually quite a weird one in that mm. sense that you're constantly on set with people but it's always a different person every day so it's quite a lonely yeah. career that's mm. one thing which I've personally found and the travelling and stuff is amazing at first and then actually I remember I was on stay in Paris in the first year of my career because I was doing fittings with what would you call it when it's like the atelier, atelier. yeah and I was on stay and I remember being so excited because for the first month they put me in an amazing hotel and then you actually just really start to crave just a kitchen and a TV which isn't like a hotel one and mm. I think yeah that loneliness felt less when I eventually moved into an apartment as when I was in this amazing hotel which on the outside probably looked like the best experience mm. but you do crave the normality of what your friends are also going through at that time and, mm. and the social sides to mm. that age what's that brilliant film you know that film when it's they go on a boat and they all throw up oh triangle triangle of sadness. Sadness. Triangle triangle of sadness. sadness. okay so yes. you know that so this kind of makes me think of triangle of sadness because i loved i thought it was interesting that they did a model casting scene with men which i hadn't seen before mm. but it was weirdly weird the casting scene where they all had to do different poses and get rejected or not so it was funny. so fucked up and yeah. it was hilarious but so fucked up and you think if you put a kind of 18 year old 17 year old 16 year old in that situation oh it's just as a parent it fills me with horror and they, these were young men that it was happening to mm. let alone young women it's this might just... be a really stupid question is that what it's actually like I felt very New York that moment I think but I think you'd have to ask a male model because I asked a male model recently about this exact scene especially the opening scene of that film everyone Mm. watched that bit of the season you've got to watch that film Triangle of Sadness it's a really good film and they were like that's very accurate from their perspective especially because they have to stand topless whereas with girls, it's a bit different. If you're doing the lingerie side of things, then maybe you have to... I've never done bikini stuff, mm. ever. So it's rare that I would have to be physically exposed It reminded like me, when you were saying for Gucci, you were in a sort of leotard. You've got nothing to hide behind there. No. It's a thin layer of fabric. I don't know. It happens so often in so many industries where young people, particularly women, are put in a, quite a vulnerable situation. They're asked to do things. And their brain is going, should I be saying yes or no to this? And it happens mm. in acting a lot. Women are normally asked to take their tops off or something and you're in this quite difficult positions to know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing and how comfortable you feel with something all of that it just feels really fucked up part of the job though just to play devil's advocate here and the parts i like about my Mm. job is that you get that independence quite young and i really enjoyed that and I, i was never suited to uni I tried to convince myself I was, but I signed up to do art history with material sciences at UCL, which would have been a very different life. 
and I pushed that back a few years and decided to do the modeling because for me I really liked the creative side of being around photographers and freelance makeup artists and all of that and yeah there's definitely moments where I think also as someone who's not very good at sitting still you are on your feet all day and with bipolar you are very restless and that's why when people are younger it's often got similar characteristics to something like ADHD so I did really think recently I might not ever stop this because I'm quite good at my job and being able to stay on my feet all day and talk and be quite active whereas a desk job when I tried that several times along my career I really struggled to focus so that's been the Mm -hmm. part where I've obviously managed to do it for 11 years. Well, I think a lovely story is my wife Denise didn't go to university because she became a successful model very young and she is now in her mid-50s and she went to University of East Anglia. She got into a creative writing course. She smashed it, got her first. She got into MA and she's now mm. halfway through her MA in doing creative writing. So uni can come anytime yeah. you want I've if you want to. I might be that person because SOAS is a really cool uni. And they do yeah. some really interesting courses, which are just slightly more niche. Connie got uh, into SOAS, but she didn't, you yeah, didn't go, did you? Yeah, I didn't go. I wanted to do Japanese. Oh, um, I loved I it. I, did, I, I looked around it when I was younger. And I guess at that age, whatever uni it was, I just couldn't find a topic where I thought, okay, I could do three years of this, which is why I held back. But when I went, they had that free curry. And I took my dad <laughs> and he just kept going back for like seconds and thirds. And I was like, no, <laughs> pretty sure we have to be students here. But I just love the vibe of it. And it just felt very free multicultural. Because I tried to go to uni and I dropped out. And I think I'd wait until I've have more financial security mm. and like emotional security mm-hmm. as well because I think when you're 18 and you're going to university or 19 it didn't suit me yeah no. I mean um, you've got so much other sh- stuff yeah. to work out <laughs> <laughs> the pressure to drink and everything that was never something which suited me I think it was part getting into modeling and part my gut instinct at that time was I'm really craving just figuring out who I am a bit first before I take that step because I didn't really know who I was. It's horses for courses because I'm going to say I loved uni and it was a way to leave home and because um, I like making things so it was I just got into a workshop and for four years I just made stuff so it was like my Where idea did you go home. to uni? It was called the CAS it's shut down or been absorbed it was actually polytechnic it was part of the City of London Polytechnic but it was a brilliant course and it was like really technical and we were there, we would get in early and I remember back in those days you had last order so pubs would start serving at about quarter to eleven and we used to just try and get that last thing finished before we rushed down to the White Hart to get a pint in for last order at 11. So it was literally 12-hour days making stuff from dawn till dusk with some of the best technical people in the world. It was so fantastically fun. I think that's probably different to other people's university experience because it was art school. Mm. I had to have a job to work my way through, so I worked weekends and evenings sometimes. So it wasn't really the uni experience some people might expect but there's so many different ways we've got an apprentice she's training through being an apprentice and she's having a great time so there's lots of different ways to do things I'm going to move on 
how come you started making jewellery? Because we love your jewellery. Listener, you've got to check it out. Because um, Can we have a look at your ring? Because you're wearing a ring. Oh, you're wearing yeah. two rings. Okay. Wearing two. One is from the first generation of rings. Basically, to start with, I got obsessed with the idea of having a colourful signet. Because I love mm-hmm. the shape of signet, but it's often associated with a family crest or something mm-hmm. quite old school and traditional. We've just done an adaptation of Jilly Cooper for Disney and Ooh. the sort of boardroom people, that the slightly lecherous old fellas who rule the world, wear signet rings. On so in some pinky. way, they haven't traditionally sometimes been fun and colourful, which yours are. So I'm just going to say to our listener, do check out the pictures, but Rosie's got two amazing signet rings on. They're great because they've got quite nice big... Faces, traditional signet ring shapes, but on the faces, one has a great cross on, which is blue and white corners, like pie pieces, and then, uh, that's a bad description, and the other one has a brilliant (laughs) alien face on. Um, They just look really fun. They're great rings. They look lovely on you. And so how come... Because a lot of people might like jewellery, but not many people think, oh, I can make it myself if I can't find what I want. I think that was the thing. So it was the stroke of luck. I got obsessed with the idea of making myself a space ring because I found a poster that in the 50s Kellogg's in their cereal packets used to give out these plastic rings but you'd get one free in your cereal packet and it would have all these space illustrations on but obviously it was just plastic and I just loved the designs and I just thought that is so cool how nice would it be to make that into a real thing and then I sketched it up and I went on Alibaba Mm. and got one made in China and it was great but it was absolutely huge it literally took up half of my finger and I think it might have been made out of aluminium or something it just wasn't quite what I'd envisioned but I was very proud of it and I put it on my Instagram story and a jeweler from Kent called Matt who is my business partner at Covert Jewelry he saw this on my Instagram and messaged me saying, hey, I'm based in Kent. I really think I can make a better version of this for mm. you. And the first time I met him, he had made up my ring in four different colorways within a week's time or something. And I just thought, wow. who are you? You're great. <laughs> We're very different, but we just have a joint kind of sense of humor and enjoyment of making jewelry, but from two very different sides of it. I really like designing and he's very bench work focused and loves that side of it with such good training behind him so before and obviously this was in lockdown actually so we just had that time to bounce off each other and get a product together and actually launching in lockdown was the best thing we ever decided to do because there was such a wave of people directing you to independent brands at that time and yeah I think that first part of lockdown people were spending money they didn't have anything (laughs) else to spend it on it was we had a funny thing where as coronavirus hit, because I'd been in Italy and I'd seen what it had done in Italy and I came back here and I was like, oh my God, it's the end of the business, the end of everything. And we all packed up and went home. And then suddenly, ping, ping, online, people, everyone else went home too and they all started buying nice bits of jewellery. So it was like, yeah. it was survivable all of a sudden. I know a lot of people had a really awful time with it, but mm. in terms of business, it was survivable and we were really grateful so you're doing the designs yeah and then Matt is doing the making I love the making I feel like I can't work out what I prefer more designing or making now at this point do you still get involved in the making yeah so much so I can sketch in a sketchbook but a lot of the sketching is done on the bench so it's while I'm making so the making is part Mm. of the and it's like my happy place to be on the workbench just to explain to our listener I showed Rosie our workshop downstairs it's quite a small workshop we have about four or five people in there Mm. and that is for me that's my 
a heaven place. There's a couple of other people in the workshop. I don't like working on my own and I like just pottering away on my bench and then because I like to show things to people and say, what do you think of this? And then they either say they like it or not. I don't know to what extent showing your pieces to other people is part of the process for you or if you're entirely isolated but I need, uh, I need I confirmation just, that's done with me. A hundred percent. I think I had a really surreal moment last year. I was in Germany and someone tapped me on the back and showed me their ring and I just I honestly was like you have made my life this is just the most insane thing because you can see on we use Squarespace which is like an ordering platform you can see that someone in Germany's bought a ring yeah. but actually envisioning that your rings are global is a really weird yeah. feeling and you do occasionally get that random customer who's obsessed and I remember when we launched there was a woman in Dubai who ordered eight and I thought, bizarre, but great. <laughs> we have eight fingers. Yeah. One on each finger. I don't know if she's wearing them all at once, but I just thought, you've really helped us out. But um, Why yeah. I love about it, though? So when you design, it's, you were talking about these Kellogg's 1950s space mm. There's something that kind of clicked with you, and you had a thought, you had an idea, and something you wanted to research, and then you designed. So it's very much, it's you, the person, Rosie, mm. expressing something that you're interested in. And then... With Matt, he's using his hands to make it. So these are people mm. doing stuff. And I just think that thing, when somebody else connects with you and gets what you're doing, it's like, for me, that's what life's about. It's about mm. people understanding each other, connecting, and maybe some there's some sort of relationship there. So it's about people to people. And that's what gets me through life, is this people to people thing. The people you love, people you know, people you interact mm. with. It's a way of interacting and communicating. So it's a beautiful thing, I think. It's a beautiful thing. It's really nice. We've also like recently remodeled the business, which has been quite nice. So when we started, we were in it together, and we're making as we go. But essentially, that was Matt working for free. Yeah. And this year, I thought, you know what? I actually want to support him as a jeweler. I'm going to change this. I'm going to bulk buy from you. Please let me know your rate, where you're paid for your time, and all the materials, and all part of it. And I made that change this year because I realised if I want this to last, I want him to be benefiting from this in the mm. best way possible. So I guess now I'm, I own the business, but supporting him because I think he's so talented and hardworking. It's just, yeah, it's been three mm. years now and I just had to look to the future and think, how can I make this work as a company? But I always find, and this comes into all of the work I do, when you realise that some jobs you can't do as a creative and someone is way better than you in that role... It's a really good realisation most of the time. And just to hero someone else. Is... Oh, my gosh. So my kind of career as a jeweller, when I obviously left university and just started making myself, is delegate. Delegate to people who can do stuff better to you and thank them. But essentially, like, it's my name above the door. I'm the one that gets all the praise. People come up and go, oh, I love this, I love that. Like, yeah, I didn't do that. My team did that, but I'll take it. But that's a nice way of doing it. And it ain't rocket science to do business by which is mutually beneficial to everyone and work out a way that it's mutually beneficial to everyone there's also <laughs> really interesting stuff around the materials because obviously you want to have something where you do no harm along the way and there's lots of debates about recycled silver or mm. fair mined gold or the way that you make things and the effect that it has on communities and the environment I don't know why, for some reason, the last few weeks, I think I'm one of those people when someone tells me to do something, I don't want to do it. Good. I've always been like that when I was younger. <laughs> and for some reason, the last two weeks, I finally thought, Rosie, help the environment in small ways because if everyone suddenly had that change. 
got a recycling bin, got a reusable water bottle, got a reusable coffee cup, all within the last two weeks. I just thought, okay, I'll listen now because it's come from me. And I feel that with my jewellery moving forward again, I did think, okay, I'm going to get sustainable packaging. I'm going to make sure that everything's made in England. And I don't know why it took me three years to get to that, but I just thought it's that long game of associating your brand with the right people. Yeah, so what's important to us is being transparent and knowing bothering to find out about the materials you're using because the fact of the matter is that by making and selling jewellery we add carbon to the atmosphere because Mm. it's something that we're doing we're making something and selling it so I don't want to ignore that or pretend it isn't happening Mm. it's a fact what we do our activities as a business have some negative effects but they also have some positive effects so it's just about being open and talking about that and and taking the time to be honest about what you're doing can I have a look at alien I love that alien ring will it come off can I have a look at it yes of course you can sorry if it's a would you be able to guess what size it is just from experience no no but the thing about me is being a jeweller I keep going out to dinner parties or things and people show me something and they ask me about it I don't know anything about all that stuff really all I do is I kind of design stuff and then make it and so I'm not like a jewellery expert in terms of ooh that's 1.4 carat VS1 diamond with a a size J or whatever no okay I can do the resin but it takes me probably 40 minutes for one ring and it takes my business partner probably about five so I quickly realised that it wasn't wasn't very good me driving down to help out delegate Um, it's the name of the game what I love is I think this is going to lead in a bit to perhaps the film that you've made about type 1 bipolar and mental health is when I saw the photographs that we did for the shoot because I wasn't Mm -hmm. on the shoot but I think Esme probably sent me some photographs and tell me if I'm if I shouldn't be saying this but you have a brilliant tattoo Oh. On, on your neck that says life is weird I also have an impulsive personality uh, yes I, well, I, I actually I really like it I'm surprised I got that at the worst time in my life and for some reason for me every time I hit a real low the thing which really gets me out of it is you think how can it be this bad and my humour kicks in and that's always it's bipolar yin and yang I go up and go down very quickly And that's always the thing which rescues me. And I was having such a bad time. Then I decided to get a haircut and my fringe, which I got cut in, looked ridiculous. And I marched and got this tattoo and I thought life could not get any worse. And that was in a very low episode after a very high episode. So I just, I was very young and I didn't really understand bipolar and what I was going through. And I just, that tattoo was an ode to my confusion. I just, I loved it because you've got longer hair now, so it's, it's quite hidden and personal. It's you don't hidden. see it all the time. Sometimes if my um, hair's up in Sainsbury's, someone will just be like, yeah, life is weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there's some sort of identification because this is such a great alien ring. And there's definitely, this is going to be really hard for me to put properly because I've had my struggles and there's something that you can identify in the other something that's a bit weird or that you feel a bit like so there's a sort of yeah. identification with perhaps weirdness and alienness oh i'm that, obsessed so. with space and also so with type one bipolar those high moments and lows i get very spiritual and i've always been quite existential in my thoughts so yeah i'm obsessed with space and i honestly think how do people not talk about this more often it's just the most fascinating thing to me is that question of what is life about and and people's energies and all of that so 
it's definitely my interest in a ring as was, well. Was that like the part of the charm of David Bowie? This weirdness with him, but also this weirdness within his music that's dealing with space and, yeah. and I, aliens. And... My dad, I grew up with a dad who's so obsessed with David Bowie. <laughs> when we went to Germany, he made us do a day tour of all the places he'd lived and everything, just completely self-planned. And my dad's never taken time off work. He's an absolute workaholic. And when David Bowie passed away, I've never seen him look so sad. It's the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> he was just completely defeated for a week. I've been saying that. That was like oh, when that? George Michael died. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was like, it's no like more enough. It's like John Lennon. I was like, yeah. David Bowie was like, oh dear. But George Michael, I was like, <laughs> and it was Christmas, making was, it even worse. Isn't yeah, it someone you look like, up to isn't around anymore? You think, oh my god, this oh, is so sad. <laughs> I spent my time trying to. I'm not doing it now, but like in my private life, I just buy clothes and want to dress like George Michael. So yeah, I got a really cool dad. <laughs> it's not cool. My little white shorts and my sort of sailor T-shirt when I go on holiday. We were talking about that earlier about when I really wanted to dress quite effeminately or high camp I think and the problem that people would have when you did that because they'd make assumptions mm. about you so that's a nice thing about London nice thing about going on holiday maybe it's not so nice for Connie and co because sometimes when we go clothes shopping is it with you like where I wear all these oh camp clothes and, and no, I get you to photograph this yeah so dad <laughs> comes back shopping and I will come in like if I was coming to visit I open the door and he comes down in an outfit down the stairs and does a little one cat walk and then he runs back upstairs and gets changed and tries on everything he's got in the shop. Oh my god. And then I have to tell him what I think. Everyone does. That's a horrible image. Sorry, listener. <laughs> we've, we've ruined your day now. This is so stupid. Can you tell me the material that the ring's made in? This is a gold one. Oh. Yeah, my ones are solid 18 carats, but the ones we sell is gold plated. Yeah, yeah. And it, people can get solid gold if they message us and want it as an individual order, but... As you might know, the price of gold changes so often we don't put a flat rate anywhere. Oh my gosh, and it's um, so expensive. And people say, that's the sound of <laughs> the dog. Drinking <laughs> water in the background. Blueberry, thank you. Because we do gold plate, because I always wanted to make jewellery that was available for kind of people mm. like us that anyone could buy. I wanted someone who, if they worked in a shop or mm. anyone could save up for a. Blueberry, can you keep the noise down? So gold plate was a great way of doing it. So gold plate just makes it really yeah. accessible. Um, and if you're careful with when you wear it, it yeah. can really last. Oh, it does. So that's yeah. the thing. Because originally I thought, oh God, if it starts underneath people's fingers, some of my friends who got gold plated, after a year that starts to go. Yeah. And you think you've just got to treat it as something quite special if you want it to last. It's not that it won't, it's just when you're going swimming or... But it's a compliment because if they love it, they don't take it off and they wear it for everything and they wear it for yeah. the carving. But the gold plate can be redone, so it's not the end of the world. I like the fact that you were interested in something and then you just thought, oh, I'll just do it myself. Because a lot of mm. people quite like things, but you actually just made what you wanted yourself, which is... Cool, quite I think. impulsive again yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> call it cool not impulsive I just think why not because you did it you can do it anyone can yeah. do it when I was younger I also had a business selling cashmere beanies of which I wear every day and lovely got one on the table here yeah I'm always conscious of talking about things and not doing them and I'm the opposite I make sure that even if it fails I always learn so much from my failures and you're never going to regret giving something a go and when I set up this beanie company when I was younger, I learned so much when it didn't work out that I just, doing a jewellery brand wasn't ever a risk in my head. I quite like that as a kind of self-check. If you listen to yourself, when people ask me, I prefer to say what I'm doing or what I've done. I don't particularly like saying, 
what I was going to do and what I am going to do. Often you use those things as an excuse to not do something. Mm. I was going to do that or I'll do that later. We did a brilliant cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats. And the number one thing people said to me when we got back was, I'd love to do that. And my response was always like... And so get on your bike. It doesn't cost you anything. Just yeah. do it. But then people were like, "Oh, I'll do it one day," kind of thing. And it's quite good to do stuff. I don't know. You use the word impulsive. Is that got a bad press? Is impulsive a, generally thought of as a bad I, thing? I think or? I tried to reclaim the word. <laughs> I am impulsive, but I also find frustration when people don't just do stuff. Yeah. So I use it in a neutral way. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I've had someone in a work environment and, and associated it with bipolar as a negative thing. And it's actually that I just do stuff in the moment and mm. it benefits me as much as it hinders me. So I think it is important to use mm. it in a positive sense as well. Talking about bipolar, so the film you've made, so you've got this amazing, it's Channel 4. Channel we 4 love. Digital. So the benefit of that is it's on all their online platforms and first of all on their YouTube, is that it will reach a much younger audience. So it's a 20 minute doc aimed at the fact that most young people have such a short attention span now. TikTok is one of the most popular platforms Mm. there is. So we want to fit my journey and my, the way I manage into something really short and manageable for a young person to watch. So really excited. Film's all done and finished and it's just waiting. I saw it for the first time yesterday. Oh, how was that? Really good. I think when you are the subject of a film like this, you have to let go of what other people think. The only anxiety is, oh God, am I going to come across okay? You have no editorial control over what they choose. Luckily, my gut feeling when I met the director I worked with on this last August was, wow, she's doing this for the right reasons. And every time I've had a wobble or a high, instead of judging, she's tried to understand more about how I deal with things. So she is just so empathetic and become a really good friend. And yesterday, the film just showed all of that was true. So, uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it. I'm really excited to see it. And I feel like those things are so important. So I've seen some of the challenges that I've faced have been helped hugely by Mm. seeing... There was a great Grace Dent documentary that, that just, like, really helped me at one point. And just seeing that somebody else is going through something that perhaps you've been mm. through is going to be really useful. I suspect, so I have two friends that are bipolar and I didn't actually know about type 1 or type 2 before I meeting don't think you. most people do. Mm. I make a point of saying it quite often mm. just so that people might even question or Google it. I always say I'm type 1 bipolar, I never say I'm bipolar because it might just trigger someone in their mind to go, oh... Okay, Mm. Google and figure out the difference because just the more you talk about it and the more people listen and even having an understanding, I think the main reason I wanted to talk so much about this subject was changing a young person's opinion of themselves when Mm. they get diagnosed. So I'm just hoping with all of this press I have coming out around this that a young person might go, oh, okay, how old is she? 26. Oh, when did she find out? 21. Oh, I'm 21. That's normal then, which is when you get diagnosed, it's just this huge shame on you which you feel when you get diagnosed right now or how I felt because I couldn't find another young person speaking about it and everyone was directing me to Stephen Fry who I'm not slating I'm just saying there's quite an age gap between us <laughs> yeah. and gender you split. and Stevie got loads yeah. in common obviously <laughs> he's also I mean... got type 2 I'm pretty sure so <laughs> it was just really difficult to feel normal in that time it's funny because it was lovely doing a podcast with Tasha Guri from Love Island who's deaf and 
she just talks about her superpower. Mm. And we have a lovely friend who is now the drummer in an amazingly successful pop band. And he is autistic and that's his superpower. And so we are all who we are and we're all different. And we all have different things that make us up. I think one of the problems I've found with mental health issues is the stigma and the way that you immediately think that it's all negative. There's good bits and bad bits in all of us. And quite often, there are a lot of what's missed are all the positive, all the mm. great things about that person that you couldn't take it away. Do you know what I'm saying? It's definitely part of, it's become part of my character because the best way I find to explain it is that I have a greater mood span. So someone without bipolar would maybe go between a four and a six. Yeah. Someone who has depression would go between a two and a six, but they don't get the diagnosis of bipolar because they don't have that flip between the two. My mood can go between a naught and a ten. I take medication so it can't go above an eight, mm. but I do still manage that high of an eight, which other people don't, and I do still manage that deluded kind of suicidal low of one and two Mm. most people hopefully will never have to have but it is yeah because I deal with that all the time it becomes part of who I am because I really feel things in those heightened states and so when I'm on a normal day you don't forget how that feels and how it made you see things differently and you really appreciate the good days when you have bad days and that's just the way I've got to look at it. I think that one of the sort of terrifying things for me is I think that there's a really high number of people that do have quite severe lows, but an awful lot of them are ashamed or scared and either won't talk about it or won't ask for help. And yeah. that's where we run into problems, isn't yeah. it? When there's a I think it's attached. also, luckily with this documentary, that was my aim is that although I'm speaking about bipolar, everyone can relate to aspects of bipolar. Yeah. And it's just talking about that incredibly low state where you are as deluded as the high. You just are. And I think that's the thing. In this short film, I show clips of me in hospital where I thought I was Susan Boyle for over two weeks. So that was quite interesting. And in that state, you're not thinking straight. I didn't know my name was Rosie, couldn't recognise my parents. And when people are low and suicidal, I think it's just hopefully going to show that is as extreme. And if you're wanting to take your life, anything like that is because you're being irrational. So I'm hoping that people with depression will also see this and validate for themselves that they're going through something really difficult and getting help is equally important at that end so i'm going to say at this point because this is something that really is important to me is we were talking about language before and we were talking about how you refer to the enamel in your rings language for me is is so important and something i think we should say or i'm going to say and maybe someone here will disagree but i really don't like the term when someone takes their own life just to say that they killed themselves or in some way it was their fault because my experience of depression and mental illness and experience, I have a lot of experience in my family with that. Mm. 
And it is an illness. It's yeah. an illness. And when someone dies of another illness, it's the illness that killed them, not them. Yeah. And I don't like the language. when It's I... really difficult. <laughs> in lockdown, I lost my brother-in-law to suicide. And yeah, he'd been <sighs> with my sister for 10 years and he was really young. He was 28. When that happened, weirdly, it didn't cause me to have a low myself. And I think everyone who knew me, it was, oh God, if that's happened, because I was so close to him, I think people were thinking, God, if something's going to send Rosie West, it will be this. And actually, because I understood the severity of his illness, it, it was rational why it happened. Yeah. And it didn't send me low. I was able to support my sister in that time. She obviously had a completely different type of grief. But yeah, it's given me such a huge understanding of when people take their lives, they're in their most, they're their most ill. So yeah, it's the it's... illness that gets them. And I think that there's a big problem at the moment with young men, men probably in general, is the difficulty they have in asking for help and when they have an illness, a mental illness like that. Since then, being very vocal when someone will say, oh, it's so selfish, I will quite oh literally shout. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, did, um... I get very angry. <laughs> language is important. If we can change the yeah. language, I think it could change the way that people perceive uh, those sorts of illnesses and the way that people deal with them. Oh, God, we've gone dark. <laughs> Anyone got any jokes? Esme, can Got any jokes? We got the lovely two rings. You see, Rosie's wearing on her jewellery today that she's brought along. Yeah. And I said, when she came, I said, oh, I love your necklace. And so we're going to talk about that because it's funny. Because Rosie looked all guilty. I felt really guilty. It's from Monica Venada. We love Why Monica. Why saying that is it, right? Is it Venada? This yeah. was actually my sister Lucy, who's two years older than me. Every time she wore it, I was just quite fixated. And I always noticed her wearing it. And I told her that and she was very sweet and got it for my birthday last year. Well, very we special. love Monica. We love what she does. She's an old friend. and She started out, I think, probably a few, couple of years after me. And she's been incredibly successful. And I think we should celebrate successful women in business. She's done brilliantly. Sometimes when people are very successful, you get kind of critics of them. And I mm. say, shut up, critics. She's done great. And she's succeeded in a kind of male world of doing something amazing she makes gorgeous jewellery and what I like about it so it's just a, a linked necklace but each link has a really nice kind of texture to it so it's quite sparkly it just looks interesting and different and new it's a good necklace so that's your sister do you just have one sister? I have two sisters oh one. do you prefer this one to the other one because she buys you nicer presents <laughs> hey sis come they're on they're good in different ways oh okay like, yeah I have very different relationships with my two sisters but I love them equally and that hasn't always been the case there's definitely been times when I've been younger, I hate one more than the other, but it was never love, both of them, so didn't, Connie, didn't see that Connie coming. can comment, so I have three daughters, Connie's yeah, middle. It's, it's quite an experience. <laughs> yeah, it is. But when we're older, we got on so well, it's the most bizarre thing, because that yeah. we used to hate each other. We used to hate each other, and now I speak to them most days on mm. the phone. Same, and it's bizarre. I them a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. really weird, like we're all really different. Mm. as well but like we're all best friends but yeah. really don't have much in common at all which is great <laughs> um, <laughs> we're all super different as well and you because you're all pal away from what you're interested in i'm the youngest yeah, yeah. but the tallest by, oh. by oh, two, nice. yeah. hopefully they don't listen to this but uh-huh. they're five foot one i'm five nine and they're both older than me so mm-hmm. i look quite weird in oh. family pictures <laughs> i don't know where that happens <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, nice present from your sister. So that's Monica's, Monica Vinader. Um, what else have you got? These lovely earrings. Tell me about the earrings. So I tried to find out the brand this morning. My boyfriend got these for me this Christmas. And I probably gave 
an overly excited response because I think jewellery can be quite a personal thing. And I do quite like to keep quite simple earrings and necklaces just because my rings are really colourful and sometimes I'll wear four or five. So I was just in shock. I just thought, oh my God, you've done so well. So I was beaming and I haven't really taken them off because they're very me. But I think it's called Roxana. We'll check that out. I will find out. He's just on a work trip abroad and wasn't awake when I was texting (laughs) him this morning saying, just really random, but where are the earrings you got me from? Quite brave, because um, you're a kind of model and very stylish and you make your own jewellery. I think it's brave of a guy. We have lovely men come into the shop all the time and they often have a slightly rabbit in the headlights look in their eyes mm. and they often want to buy rings. And the first thing we say is, do you know what size your partner is? Yeah. And they just look terrified as if to say, oh God. what do you mean? Just, it's a ring size. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how am I? And yeah. then often they'll go, like your sort of size or something to someone in the shop and you go no nah, that I just still work. think it's the best present to give someone jewellery because even when friends in the past have given me something which I wouldn't pick up myself I really think I don't know I don't think you necessarily have to have a jewellery style I think it can change with whatever you're wearing and time of year um, the fact that someone's so. thought of you as yeah, well, so, so I, I think that's a big thing, especially because like my rings are all quite different, but they're all from mm. different people for different times in my life, and I always, I, I think you it's treasure a, it, for yeah, because yeah, they thought of you, isn't it, to go for that? So. I love it because what I love is the fact that each piece connects you to someone. So you've got a sister, a boyfriend, and then mm. you've got your own rings, which are mm. really nice that you're and, wearing your own jewelry, and, and then ring, and then is... the, the last ring. Can I have a look? My friend Sarah gave this to me and I think I'm coming to realise that it must be gold because I wear it every day and it's not gone silver yet. Looks, it's got a lovely sparkly yellow stone in I don't know what, whether, what, what that is, whether it's... Uh... She got it from a vintage French Instagram page. Oh, hmm. yeah. So well, there's no hallmark in, in there, but it's got to be gold because it would have worn. It's got to it be gold. I wear it every day, yeah. It's quite a soft colour, so I imagine it could be a kind of nine carat. But I just like it complements the other ones. It's lovely. It's quite unusual because it's got a, a, a sparkly yellow. And I don't know whether that's a, a natural stone because it is very sparkly. But if it is a natural stone, it could be a kind of yellow sapphire or something. And then it's got two big bubbles either side that kind of set it, that's where it's set into. And then I'd it's say it's quite the most chunky. Gen Z of my jewellery. Yeah. Gen I'm very woke wearing that. I'm going to write that one down. I tried to say oh, Slay Queen last podcast and, and that didn't work. Well, it was board, mentioned yeah. at the start of the podcast. You were talking about Slay Queen. Gen and Z. I was like, okay, okay. I would say Gen Z and that would mark me out as not being cool. But I'm going to say Gen Z now. Yeah, it's quite chunky. I just thought <laughs> I'm young. But yeah, I really like it. And again, she gave that to me for Christmas. So it was just such a generous thing to do and gave my other friends in our close friendship group different rings from the same place so she'd obviously thought about which ones so that's wear. nice so you're saying like you said like it's with like modeling center, sometimes it's hard to maintain friendships because you kind of brush up against people and then you're off mm-hmm. on a different job and you know people from the general ether but you're not yeah. in close contact it's not like here where we work in the same room every day and you build up quite strong relationships yeah but you have very strong friendship group from I've got a really strong friendship group no my best friends are they're all creatives but in different industries so I think we're all interested in similar things but also very different and I met my closest friends when I was 15 I did a music video and I met my friend Sarah on set for that she was an actress and I was a model and we're both on this job from completely different agents we just stayed in contact and then she introduced me to her two 
friends who she went to school with. So one's an actress, one's a singer, and Sarah is a model. But very different kind of work to what I do. I feel like you could get together um, and be like Charlie's Angels or something. I quite like this idea. You've got all your special <laughs> skills. We, we, in lockdown, we thought about doing a cookbook together, and then we just thought oh, that yeah. is the most random. <laughs> Why not? We're going to call it Scoff. Um, but yeah it's really I like really, it already I'm going to buy that scoff cookbook scoff. yeah I like yeah. the sound of that yeah, yeah I think it's one of those things do you, I like, you do like cooking oh I never talk about stuff from dinner do you know what I like cooking the same things often I get a real comfort yeah. in certain meals which are nostalgic to me so I make a lot of what my mum makes at home for myself yeah and I just recently realised now that I've been making a conscious effort this year to have more people around for dinner rather than going to restaurants just because I think it opens up a different type of conversation and people are much more relaxed and you can have teas for ages after and I feel a bit rushed in a restaurant if I haven't seen a friend for a long time. So I've been cooking a lot more, but it's just therapeutic for me. It's really therapeutic and I really don't like baking. So I always use cooking as an analogy when I'm talking about jewellery because it's basically you have an idea and then there are people coming over or friends and you think they're a vegetarian or, and then you put it in context so it might be like freezing cold or baking hot. So you go, oh, i do a barbecue and a salad outside. So you, And then you add your own ideas and then you use your hands to make something and then you share it with another person mm. and if they say they like it you've had this kind of connection so I suppose yeah. all these things are like non-verbal connections with other it's like people it's a joint experience yeah. isn't it yeah it's a bit of you it's, you had an idea and a thought and you did it and then if someone yeah. else gets it it's like really gratifying so I always think there's quite a strong connection between jewellery making and cooking quite often with jewellery companies I think that's why Monica's done so they're still producing great jewellery quite often you set something up and then you go mm. off and do something else and the, the kind of quality goes down and that happens with yeah. food a lot if you've got a favorite chef or a favorite restaurant you go to when it first opens it was brilliant then you go back a year later and it's like a chain bad it's... service mm. yeah and they sold out so yeah keep know what you're good at that's why i stay at the bench when i do <laughs> we've taken an hour of your time thank you oh my god it's been Thank it's you for so coming. calm in here. It's such a nice environment for a podcast. It's like being in someone's <laughs> library or something. It feels like Actually. being sat at the table on a Saturday morning or something, just with the coffee. Thank you very much, Rosie, for coming in. Not at all. Us. And thanks Thank for having me in your recent sheet as well. Oh, oh yeah. It's yeah. so nice to see yeah. both sides of the brand. And Esme was so obviously an, a model by bringing me a hot water bottle a wrap to put round my stomach if I got cold, offering to get me peppermint teas about every five minutes. It was just the best. Well, no, I've been in your shoes. I think you're right about models because the stories Denise have is that if you're not a model, they just get ignored. You're standing there in the freezing cold pretending it's summer mm. and everyone else is looking at a computer screen or wall with their cameras you and film. You can tell with like... me, my expression is exactly how I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so no if I'm cold, face. no way you're getting a smile. <laughs> exactly. I'm like old school 1970s opposite. I'm like, I fucking hate you. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. 
You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see, just go to www.alexmonroe.com. <laughs>